praying for all the classes tonight that God would just minister all across this campus. Aren't you glad to be a part of a church that has vision? Amen. Amen. Thankful for that. The book of Psalms is one of my favorite books. David is probably my favorite character in the Bible to study. I love uh, studying David and his life, and then I like reading his Psalms and all that he wrote to us. And this book is especially one of my favorites um, because it starts out with what I'm going to read to us tonight, and then you see it kind of played out. David begins uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 18, and he's just talking about the Lord as his strength, his buckler, his salvation, his rock. And then there's a lot that happens in chapter 18. But if you watch David, he doesn't ever worry at any point, and he doesn't worry at all because he truly believes what I'm going to read to us here tonight. And I pray that that's kind of what we'll journey through and just see what God's going to talk to us about. Amen? Amen. Psalms chapter 18, verse number 1. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. So shall I be saved from my enemies. I want to come back to verse number two there and read that first little phrase. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my rock. When I was praying for this service today, I felt like the Lord spoke to me. Uh, he spoke very clearly to me. And he said, in this season, I am revealing foundations. I am revealing foundations. And many of us here tonight, I know we have some that uh, work construction. They understand the importance of a foundation. Remember one time when I was really young, uh, we were living in, I'm still young, so I have to say really young. I was living in uh, Norco, California. My dad and I were driving. And for multiple months, all we saw was them doing dirt work. And then they put a little bit of concrete on there and they were... Man, they were putting all these metal rods through this con. It was just, it was crazy to watch it all come together. And it took them months to do this. And I finally got frustrated. I'm like, Dad, why is it taking them so long to just build something here? And he told me because of where we live in California due to the earthquakes, that there has to be a earthquake-proof foundation. That because of all of the codes that they write in California, that the foundation is so important there. How they start is going to be the strength of the building throughout the future. And the Lord, in his prayer, in one of his teachings, he's very, very uh, adamant about a strong foundation. He talks about how only a foolish man would build his house upon the sand, but the wise man built it upon the rock. Now, we know he later says that that was actually his word. But as I begin to look through scripture, I begin to see a lot about the necessity of a rock. And we start looking throughout scripture and we see... Uh, that there was always a war going on, it seemed like. Abraham warred, Isaac warred, Jacob warred, Moses warred, the children of Israel warred. You look through all the patriarchs of the Bible, they all found themselves at some point or another in some type of battle. 
but it was something to be said of them that they understood that they were going to last, that they were going to make it because of their foundation, because of what they were standing upon. Now, each of us here tonight, we all individually have our own struggles. We all, as a collective body, are fighting thing on a general things on a general level, but also on a personal level. We wake up and, and your fight doesn't necessarily look like my fight, but we both are going to struggle throughout the day. We both have our own unique struggles. And uh, in this, we have to understand that our foundation really matters. And there's a scripture that, that we all like to quote. It says, one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. And there's something very important about that scripture. So as we look through this, I, I want us to start to understand the importance of a foundation, of where we're at, what, what, what we are starting upon. And I feel that 2020 and the beginning of this year is God revealing our foundations and what we're really building upon. Second Samuel 3.39, and this is something that uh, jumped out at me when I was studying the book of Samuel about a month ago, and it says, I am this day weak, though anointed to be king. So there was something that David said here. He, he said, I am anointed this day. He was becoming king that day. The transfer had taken place between him and Saul, and he makes this statement. He says, I'm weak, though I am anointed. And in his phrasing, I believe it finds all of us kind of maybe where we have been at. We know we're anointed. We know we're the chosen vessel. We know we're the royal priesthood. We're no, we know that we are, you know, that generation of which the end time church is, is happening. But a lot of us, maybe we feel somewhat weak. We feel anointed, though we are weak. It was throughout scripture you would find phrases like this. This day, you know, the battle is waging Sore, which would mean that it was a hard battle. It was a weary battle. It, it, it means your bones hurt, your back ached a little bit, your muscles are, are sore. And that's what they were saying when they would say something like, you know, this day the battle is waging very sore. So as we look through scripture and we see all of these things starting to come together, David making statements like, I am weak though this day anointed. We see the phrases throughout scripture of us looking at, at patriarchs in the Bible saying that the battle waged sore. We understand that though they all almost always came out on top, those that didn't and those that did, you start to see a pattern for those that came out on top, those that made it through. And those that made it through had an understanding, and their understanding was they knew how to chase individually their thousands. They knew how to enter into their seasons chasing their thousands. They knew how to conquer certain things. And it all boils down to David's phrase in Psalms 18 and 2, the Lord is my rock. You look at Deuteronomy 32 and 30, it says, How should one chase a thousand and two put 10,000 to flight, except their rock has sold them and the Lord had shut them up? We look at verse 31 of that very same chapter and it says, For the Lord, their rock, is not as our rock, 
even as our enemies themselves being judges. If you look at preacher's commentary of these two verses, it says, Israel were wise. If they were wise, they could easily overcome all their foes through the help of the Almighty, but having forsaken him, they were left by him. And so came under the power of the enemy. Verse 31 in that same commentary says, The heathen had also a rock which they trusted, and it was their idol gods. But even they knew and felt that their rock was not as the rock. Listen to this. Even they knew and understood their rock was not as the rock of Israel. For having often experienced the almighty power of God, they could not but acknowledge that he was mightier than the gods that they worshipped. So in this text, in the preacher's commentary, it literally says that the enemy had an understanding and a realization that, that their enemy, the Israelites, their rock or their Lord was stronger than the gods that they served and they worshiped. And that commentary said, as long as Israel leaned on the rock, they never saw a personal thousand they could not chase or a 2,000 they could, or 10,000 they could not put to flight. The only way for us as individuals to wake up every day of our lives and chase our thousands and slay our ten thousands as a body is if we get back to the rock. That's why David's words in my text must start, the Lord is my rock. You look all throughout chapter 18, it's something that I preach from. David opens by saying, the Lord is my rock. And then he goes into this season where the Lord just, just wraps him up in darkness. And then out of the darkness, all of a sudden, arrows of fire start shooting out of him. And through this darkness, God sends deliverance. And, and then all of a sudden, in like chapter, I mean, verse number 18 of chapter 18, David says, and the Lord is my light he shall illuminate my thick darkness and when the light came on David saw himself as a victor through all of these things but it all started he went through the darkness he went through literal arrows of fire being shot out of heaven and through it all he said the Lord is my rock the Lord is my rock the Lord is my rock so we look at a year like 2020 we look at the beginning of this year it's had its ups and it's had its downs it's had its good it's had its bad but through it all I'm going to look back over and sound a little bit like David goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life because when I look back over all that has happened I can look back and say when I didn't think I was going to make it here the Lord was my rock when I didn't think I was going to overcome there the Lord was my rock when I couldn't think I could overcome that giant the Lord was my rock you look at Matthew 16 and 18, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this I will build my church. You want to know why Eastwind is what it is? Because it's a church that was built on the rock. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When you build it upon the rock, it doesn't matter if hell itself opens up against your life against your family, against your home, against your children, against whatever's going on, when you're built upon the rock, 
It doesn't matter what storms come our way. It doesn't matter what situations come our way. The rock is a foundation that can never move, that can never waver, that can never be destroyed, that can never be torn down. This season, as I said in the beginning, and this is what I felt the Lord spoke to me, it says, it has revealed our foundation. That's what this season is all about right now. It's showing us what we have built upon so we can make some final corrections. We have noticed in some of our lives there's fractures in our foundations. Some of us need to go home and we need to take inventory. We need to wipe the dust off of our foundation and start looking. There's a fracture here. There's a crack there. That's not holding up like it should. Because this time, I feel the Holy Ghost right now, this time that we're living in, it has literally, it has moved things so that we can get a visualization of what our foundations are looking like. So that we can make the adjustments that we need to make now. Because if I read Matthew 24 correctly, it's not going to get any better, Brother Myers. Life isn't going to get any prettier. Things aren't going to get any easier. If we really believe that we are in the end time and and living in what Jesus talked about, and there's a day where we're going to leave this earth and be with him in glory, then we've got to understand things are not about to start getting better. But one thing we can do to ensure our future in this is now when God has allowed us to look into our lives, Look into the foundations that he has revealed through the wind of chaos that has blown through our world as of late. Is now we can look down at the thing that we've been trusting and make sure it's still the rock of Christ. We're still, we're not leaning on our own understanding. We're not leaning on our own knowledge. We're not leaning on our own everything that we can do. But we've got back to the main thing, the rock of salvation. Jesus Christ is all we can lean on right now. He's all we can lean on right now. I just, I'm a firm believer that we don't need a new remedy on spiritual warfare. And I'm going to step on a few toes, maybe people that are listening, because I, but, but we, don't, we don't need to reinvent the wheel on spiritual warfare. I'm sorry. We've got too many people trying to mess with things in spiritual warfare, and if you're not careful, you're going to end up in divination. Spiritual warfare is very simple. If you'll lean on Christ and tap into intercession, the Spirit will go to work on your behalf. But it's when we, when we start thinking, I'm going to go into spiritual warfare and do it all on my own. Let me show you my new revelation on spiritual warfare. That's when you start flirting with things that are going to get you in trouble outside of the realm of the covering of the supernatural. But when you're over here and you're rested on the rock, You just start going into intercession and the spirit will go to work on your behalf. We start looking at men like Saul and men like David. David was the one that took the kingdom from Saul. When David's life was over, they began, I mean, when David's life was beginning, they looked at Saul and said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his ten thousands. What was the difference between David and Saul? Saul turned from the Lord. David turned to the Lord and never left the rock. 
So when your life is over, Scripture said that they buried Saul, and Saul was just another man in history. But when they buried David, he was the light of Israel until the true light, Jesus Christ, came, of which they announced Jesus as the son of who? The son of David. Because when you live a life that is balanced on the rock, giants like Goliath don't worry you. When you see men of ten thousands, it doesn't worry you. Because you have an understanding, I can chase my thousands because I'm upon a rock that is to stay, that'll never waver, that'll never move, and that'll never get tipsy-turvy on you. When you stand on this rock, you can hold a surety. I'll be here when the rapture comes. He'll know where to found me because I'm standing on his foundation. Leviticus 26 and 7, and ye shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Psalms 62, 1 through 2, my soul waiteth upon God, from him cometh my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. If you're here tonight, or maybe you're watching online, and you're wondering who your salvation is, the salvation is the rock. It's the rock of Calvary. Jesus is our salvation. We find our salvation in him and only in him. If you're here trying to find your way through life and you don't know what else to do and you're tired of messing everything up, you're tired of making decisions and your decisions wind up putting you in a world of trouble. Deuteronomy 32 and 4, watch this. He is the rock. He is, his work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. Think about that. All his ways are judgment. A God of truth, which is without iniquity and right and just is he. When you get back to the rock, you don't have to worry about making the wrong decision. Because you're with a God whose ways are judgment. His, 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 the way he operates is without iniquity. And everything he does is just and right within himself. But the only way you can always ensure that your decisions are just and right and without iniquity is when you're on a firm foundation that started that scripture. He is the rock. The rock will tell you what to invest into and what to not invest to. I, I knew a preacher that my dad uh, uh, grew up with, Brother R.G. Keys. And Brother Keys told my dad, he said, he'll tell you when to sell. He'll tell you when to buy. He'll tell you when to hold on to it and when to let go of it. He'll tell you when to put money into the stock market and when to take the money out. And I'm telling you, that man lived a life where everything he did, he would pray and the Lord would tell him, now's a good time to sell. And when nobody else was selling, he'd put it on the market and make more money than anybody else that wasn't selling. Because he leaned upon the rock. And this is what Deuteronomy is trying to tell us. When you put your foundation upon something that's been making the decisions from the beginning of time. When you look back over your life, you can say, I don't have to worry about my life. That's why I love David. He never had to worry because he was always on the rock. 
He was always leaning upon the foundation. And he could say things like, goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. He could say things like, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Come on. He said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He could just go through all of these things. He wouldn't ever be worried. Why? Because he would always start with something like this. I'm on the rock. And the rock is where you find your peace. The rock is where you find your rest. The rock is where you find your stability. So in this season where God is revealing to us our foundations, I got to wake up in the morning and talk to the Lord and say, all right, God, where am I weak right now so that I can put you into my weakness? And through that weakness, I can develop a strength that nothing can ever move me from. If you're trying to live a holy lifestyle and you're having a difficulty living a holy lifestyle, 1 Samuel 2 and 2, there is none as holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. He will help you live holy unto him. He will help you present yourself as a blameless and righteous person in his presence. You know, I found something a few days ago, and, and this is, this, in my opinion, this, this encompasses everything there is to encompass about holiness. According, Ephesians 1 and 4, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. Now watch this last word, in love. And I started thinking on that. These last two words is the reason I can present myself holy before God. It is the reason, watch, without blame. I am a person that is full of sin. But because he died for me and his blood covered me, I am now washed clean and white as snow and I have the opportunity to enter boldly into the throne room of grace. Wherefore I can cry, Abba, father so when i get into the throne room of grace he doesn't see the mistake i made before i entered in he sees the blood that i put upon my life that went on the mercy seat so when he sees dylan he doesn't see me in my sinful nature he sees a person that was bought by the blood peter talked about it says we were bought by what something that was more precious than gold or rubies it said you were bought by the precious blood so when you're bought by the blood he says you can now present yourself blameless holy why because he died for me because he saved me because he loved me enough that when he saw me at my worst that when he saw me when I wasn't living for him. That when he saw me when I tried to do things on my own. That when he saw me when I tried to do things by my own knowledge and by my own wisdom and by my own understanding. Then I went to the rock. And the rock purchased me. The rock loved me. The rock redeemed me. The rock filled me with his spirit. And now I stand before him. And through the love that I have for what he did for me, I will stand before him a holy and a righteous person. If you're struggling trying to present yourself holy before God, fall back in love with the fact that he saved you. Fall back in love with the fact that he died for you. Fall back in love with the fact that he filled you with himself so that you could get up every day and get full on that Holy Ghost so that you can live a life holy and blameless and righteous before the Lord. A righteous man fell seven times. I'm not telling you got to be perfect. Nobody's perfect save one. That's Christ. 
But I am telling you, we have an opportunity through love to present ourselves holy and righteous. Holy and righteous before the Lord. How are we going to have apostolic revival in this end time? How are we going to do it? Isaiah 30 and 17. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, and of the rebuke of five shall ye flee till ye have been left as a beacon upon the top of the mountain and an ensign on the hill. That literally means a banner. That literally means a pointing to, to who you are. When I did the study on this, on this scripture, I, I went into, uh, I believe it was Nelson's commentary, and I started reading about it. And it was saying that when there was a sifting through the people, that those that were left were those that are of Christ. And they were up on top as the beacon of hope that was left. You got to understand something. When everything else is being sifted, when every other movement that is drawn up by humanity, when every other movement that is drawn up by the pride of life, by the lust of the flesh, by the lust of the eye, when all these things are being put together, when everything is said and done, there's only one thing that was the same before they started doing what they're doing, and that's the church. And when we start just keep rising through the ranks, we let them say what they're going to say. Let, let, the, let them call us what they want to call us. Let, let them call us holier than thou. Let them call us this, that, and the other. Let them call us the holy rollers. Let them call us those tongue talkers, those wild tongue talkers at the Pentecostal church. I told somebody the day in the airport I was Pentecostal. She said, oh, you're a holy roller. Oh, my word. Oh, another lady, I, I was flying somewhere and she was sitting next to me and I got my Bible out. And Lord forbid, I started reading Acts. I made a mistake doing that. She looked over and she said, what do you believe? And I started telling what I believe. She said, oh, you're one of those snake handlers. Not in my lifetime am I ever going to be a snake handler, Brother Meyer. Y'all start handling snakes. Me and Paris are out of here. <laughs> I forgot where I was going. I feel like my Uncle Mark right now. But it started clicking in my head. Let them say what they're going to say. Let them do what they're going to do. Because at the end of my life, I can promise you, as long as I've remained on the rock, everything else will start fading. Let me tell you something. The glory of this LGBTQT will fade. And they'll see it for what it is. That is a lustful, puke, nothing, nobody ever, anything's going to come out of it. But when they see it for what it is, and that has no glory, they're going to start looking up to those things that have remained. And they're going to see one thing, and that's an apostolic church. They'll say, they, they, they accept us as we come, but they want, to leave us, they want us to leave chains and sanctified and holy and baptized in his name. When everybody else said, come as you are, leave as you are, they said, come as you are. But we're going to preach to you how you can leave a better person. When everything else fades, when the glory of this world fades, when the glory of everything else that is in this earth fades, there's going to be one thing that is a beacon of hope. That is the standard above everything else. And that's the apostolic church. We're going to be standing high upon the rock. We're going to hold on to our standard of truth. We're going to hold on to that beacon of hope. And we're going to say we've been right here on the rock. When everything else was shaken, we were standing strong. When everything else, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. We're going to be standing when everything else is moving. 
Acts 17 and 6, and when they had found them not, they drew Jason unto the certain brethren, unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down. That's what the apostolic church is about. When the world is moving and the world is doing everything it's doing, we're the ones that are just standing on the rock. We're just standing on the rock. Everything else is shaking around us. Nobody knows who they are anymore. We say we know who we are because I've been on a rock. When the world is saying we don't know what to believe anymore, we'll say we know what to believe. Well, how, how do you know? Because I haven't moved since it started. I've just been on the rock. When the world is saying we don't know what to do anymore, we'll say we know what to do. How do you know what to do, sir? Because I've been doing it since the beginning of time. I've just been reading this Bible. I've just been working after God's own heart. I've been doing everything I know to do to live it for Jesus. And how do you, uh, you'll find me right where you left me on the rock. Praise God. This is what I prayed for tonight. This is what I asked that God would end this night with. And it's the story in 2 Kings when Elisha and his servant, they were on top of a mountain, if you don't mind, a rock. <laughs> they were on the rock. And his servant woke up and said, hey, Rev, um, I don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing, but there's a bunch of bad guys out here. And we're, we're like really outnumbered. <laughs> there's two of us, and they're mad because they found out that you've been hearing from God. Because the king was upset. The king got mad. He said, how do they know what I speak in my bedchamber? And one of his little old servants said, the prophet's with them. Thank God we have a man of God in our lives that can hear from God. And when he says we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Why? Because we know he's got his ear to the throne room of heaven. And when you've got your ear to the throne room of heaven, it makes the world wonder, how in the world are they doing it? When, and, and how in the world are they growing? How in the world are they succeeding? How in the world are... I'll tell you how we're doing it because we have somebody that leans on the rock. So he, he said, you know, they've got that prophet. And he said, oh, Elisha, yeah. And they found out where Elisha was going to be at. And Elisha and his servant were over there just sleeping on the rock. And maybe his servant fell off the rock when he was sleeping because when he woke up, all he saw was the enemy all around him. I love this story so much. His, his, his master, Elisha, looked down at him and said, listen here, buddy. They that be for us are greater than they that be against us. When you're on the rock and you start seeing things happening all around you, you don't really get worried. You just say, I'm on the rock today. I'm not going to worry about what CNN is saying. I'm not going to be worrying about what NBC is saying. I'm not worried about what Fox 1, 2, or 3 is saying. I'm not worried about what this outlet is saying. I'm not worried about what my Instagram come on thread is saying I'm not worried about what my Facebook thread is saying I'm not worried about what Twitter's saying I don't even know how many new ones there I'm not worried about what TikTok is saying I'm not worried about what YouTube is saying I'm not worried about what a YouTube influencer is saying I, you know why I'm not worried here tonight because when I was a young man I was dedicated unto the Lord my parents brought me to an altar and a man of God held me in his arms and they gave me back to the rock 
And I've had parents that have made sure I lived a life. I wasn't always perfect, but I always came back to the rock. And I had parents that ensured I lived a life that was on a rock. And now I can be assured through everything that goes on, I'm not going to worry about what they do out there. And just like that prophet, he said, Lord, would you open his eyes that they might see that they that are for us are greater than they that are against us. And it was like scales fell off that servant's eyes and he started looking. And scripture says he saw chariots with cherubims of flames of fire standing all, all across the mountaintops, all across the, all over. All he could see were those that were for him. This is what I prayed before I came to this church tonight, before I came to tonight's service. I was in my office and I leaned back and I said, God, would you let the faith of the saints be uplifted in this service tonight? So that when they leave this house, they would trust that they that are for us are greater than they that are against us. Would you let them walk out of this place tonight with the keen understanding that when you live a life that is on a sure foundation, that everything else that happens around us, it cannot affect us. That old faithful saying, if God be for us, who can be against us? Would you stand with me? Would you lift your hands all across the house? And can we just call upon the Lord of glory for a few moments? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, I pray right now that as we go home, we would begin to inspect our foundations. That we would take a fine-tooth comb and just begin to look at our foundations, God. We would remove anything that would hinder us from inspecting every corner of our lives. Ensure, God, that we are upon something that's going to stay, something that's not going to move, God. Because this world is not going to get any better, and the only ones that are going to last, God, are those that find themselves on the rock. Those, God, that find themselves leaning not on to them, oh, their own understanding, Lord, but trusting in you, God. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, Lord, but... We're going to leave this place trusting in the Lord. Reveal unto us the cracks in our foundations, God. Reveal unto us, God, those places that have weakened, God, maybe just through life. Nothing that we have done, God, necessarily, but just through the life that we have lived, God. Just getting busy in our own worlds, God. Help us to refocus our eyes back onto what's important. That's on the rock, God. God, let us go home and strengthen our foundations, God. Let us, let us strengthen the foundations of which we live our lives. Let us strengthen the foundations of prayer. Let us strengthen the foundations of fasting. Let us strengthen the foundations of daily in the word, God. Let us get back to that old, that old, old understanding, God, that, that you are the rock, God, the rock of our salvation. And as long as we lean on you, Jesus, we don't have any worries. We don't have any frets. We don't have any issues or any struggles. There's there's nothing, God. I pray that in this house tonight, right now, by the power of the word of God and by the authority of the name of Jesus, that you would remove uh, the blinders from the eyes of the people, God, and that they would begin to see that they that are for us are greater than they that are against us, God. 
Let us have eyes to see the angels of the Lord. Let us not be focused on the negativity that this world is offering, God, at an overwhelming level, God, that is causing anxiety to raise, that is causing depression to raise, God. But let us get back to focusing on really what's really important, God, and that's you and you alone. I put my eyes on you, Lord. I put blinders to the things of the world that are trying to distract me right now, that are trying to take my eyes off of the rock, that are trying to take my eyes off of Calvary, that are trying to take my eyes off of the old rugged cross. And I put my eyes back on you, Jesus. Lord, blind me, God, from the distractions of the world, God. Let us not be like the church in Progmos, God, when you said you have a church where the seed of Satan is, but you've allowed the doctrine of Balaam there, that doctrine of distractions, God, that doctrine, Lord, where he allowed them to enter stumbling blocks into the people. Let us rebuke the doctrine of Balaam out of our lives. Let us rebuke the doctrine of Balaam out of our homes, God, that doctrine of distraction, that doctrine, God, that gets our focus off of what's important, and that's sacrificing unto the Lord. That's given our lives unto you on a daily basis, God. I pray, God, for an overwhelming spirit of peace to rest upon us right now. Let the peace of the Holy Ghost flow in this room. Let us truly feel like we can just rest in your peace tonight, God. Remove those things, God, that have caused us to be distracted. And let the peace of the Holy Ghost consume us right now. It is a fruit of the Spirit, God, and we're calling upon peace right now. We're calling upon joy right now. Let it happen in this house tonight in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you want to come to the altar and continue praying, it's open. If you need to go, I'm done. But let's just continue in this vein for a few more moments in the name.